0: Blue Wire.
1: Think about Lawrence, fires to the end zone, touchdown,
0: Alabama wins. Elliot. dodges the eye of this national championship win.
1: A deep throw by
0: Lawrence, a lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it, he's done.
1: Welcome into episode 151 of Press Pass. I'm Kayla Anderson alongside my co-host Joshua Perry after a couple of weeks off for the holiday season and we both deserved it along with all of you all. I'm sure that you guys all deserved a great holiday break. We are back though in 2022. This is our first episode of the new year, Joshua. So we're going to make this big, bad, and of course, a lot of opinions.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we've we've been holding back opinions for a couple of weeks now, so we yeah. definitely got to jump into it. But I uh, hope everybody out there had a wonderful holiday season. Just to echo what Kayla said, uh, mine was fantastic. And I uh, hope everybody's got their minds right for a wonderful year in 2022, because I know these last couple of years have been uh, yeah. two difficult ones with some changes and, uh, you know, the way that society has had to adapt to different things, some of the things that have gone on socially uh, you know, I, I want this to be a year where people grow and a year where people learn and a year where people are prosperous.
1: That's very well said. And we, of course, are always trying to do that here, bringing our honest uh, opinions to this press pass podcast. And we're going to start it off with a weekend full of college football this past weekend, Joshua, including the college football playoffs. I did want to get your thoughts now that it is all said and done on the semifinal games because, for the first time, we had seen two programs who had never been a part of the college football playoffs. Unfortunately, those two programs didn't move forward, but overall your thoughts on those two semifinal games.
0: Well, first off, I'd like to say just uh, for bowl games in general, I love bowl season. I watch, uh, yeah, try to watch at least a portion of each bowl game that's on, which is extremely difficult, but I can say that I have done that up to this point and there is still one more left on the board yes, there is. for me to watch a little bit of. Um, and it was a fun bowl season I think that there were so many exciting, explosive games. Now, when you look at these semifinals, I think we, we got what we have seen a lot of. And I think there was a stat that was out there that said that 12 of the 16 semifinal games have been by a margin of 17 or more points. Yeah, right? And so that's exactly what we saw in these semifinals with Alabama and Cincinnati and Georgia and Michigan. When you look at the Alabama Cincinnati game, I think there's one thing that is very apparent is that when you are a group of five team, when you are a power five team, that is one of the lower level power fives, you absolutely will have the skill talent to be able to compete. And what I mean is your running backs will keep you competitive. You'll probably have a wide receiver or two that can keep you competitive, maybe a tight end. And you can find a quarterback every few cycles that will make you have a special year. Desmond Ritter is a very good quarterback. Mm -hmm. Um, Where the game is totally different is in the trenches, where you lack the elite pass rusher. Maybe you lack the elite defensive tackle to hold up against some of the offensive linemen. Your offensive linemen can't hold up against the defensive linemen from some of the elite schools. And it it goes to this idea of recruiting in the NFL draft. And I love using this analogy, but like the difference between a five-star offensive tackle and a four-star offensive tackle is huge. The difference between a four-star offensive tackle and a three-star offensive tackle is even bigger. And when you look at the NFL draft, the first round offensive linemen are so much better than even the second and third round guys.
1: That's a good point.
0: And so that's what you're seeing a lot of in this game is Alabama has guys who are five stars, has, has guys who will be, you know, top 30, top 60 NFL draft picks on the offensive and defensive lines, whereas Cincinnati does not have that, nor do they have the depth. Yep. And so they can keep it competitive uh, for a portion of the game. But when it really comes out to grinding it out, that's where they struggle.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And I will say this, though, and I know a lot of people had their opinions on oh, you know, this is why the these teams, you know, shouldn't necessarily be playing yeah, do in the that. college football playoff. Like, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, and just because it's Alabama and Georgia in the end here, you can't take any credit away from Cincinnati. And even though it pains me to say this, because, you know, I'm, I just, I, I'm still a Michigan, not, Lover, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, you can't take away from what they did this season because what Jim Harbaugh did was got his guys to buy in on every level and, and got them to this point. So I, yes. I don't want to take anything away from those two teams, uh, but this is this is what it is, and you put it quite frank. You know, Alabama and Georgia, they have the all-around top talent. They have the talent in the trenches, and here we go. We've yeah. got another all-SEC battle for the championship game, Alabama versus Georgia. Um, Joshua, my question to you is I, in my Opinion, And I'm an SEC country. I'm in the thick of it down here in Tennessee. Uh, other than the, the South and, and maybe parts of the country, I, I just don't see the interest being there when it's just two SEC teams, teams that we've seen before um, going up against each other. People are going to watch. I, I just don't think the interest is going to be as uh, explosive as we, we've seen it for other matchups.
0: Yes. And, and I'm going to touch on that in a sec. I wanted to get on Michigan for a hot sec because yes, I really yes, didn't touch on that. Yes, please do. Them. But for Michigan, I think there were two things that happened. Is Number one, um, they don't have the explosion. And yeah. that was part of their deal all years. They were a tough team. They were a very physical team. Um, they were a team that could scheme their way into explosive plays. But naturally, they don't have the game-breaking wide receivers like Ohio State has. Right. Or they don't have the elite quarterback play like Alabama has. And so that really showed up for them. I think yeah. the other thing that showed up is when you look at their offensive game plan, I think they made a decision early on in their bowl prep that their traditional offense could not win them the football game. Mm-hmm. There were, I felt like Hassan Haskins never got more than two carries in a row in that football game. And they were going to the gimmicks and they were reaching deep into the playbook early on. Yeah. And I think that they saw the Georgia defense and said, we don't have the answers that we should have against Georgia. And I think that Michigan probably could have gone out there and stuck to their traditional script and had a little bit more success. And that was really unique for me to see because I had a chance to speak to Josh Gaddis, who is the yeah. Michigan offensive coordinator after the big 10 championship. And one of the things that he said to me is that, you know, the guys really buy into to what they're coaching. And a lot of times the guys elevate the scheme that he likes to run. Mm-hmm. And so to see them kind of go off script so early on in the game, Was uh, it was kind of eye opening because I I I do believe that their offense was definitely better than what they displayed. Their defense, um, you know, they just they they really couldn't get footing because the offense wasn't moving the ball and everything. Um, That was really unique. Now to answer your question about this all SEC championship (laughs) game is you're one hundred percent right. I I don't think that the interest is going to be there nationally. I think that if people wanted to um create a matchup they would have gone with something other than this. Yeah. Um and this opens up the conversation for expansion. Yes. Where a lot of people will say, well, you know, if we expanded the playoffs, we'd have more teams that have more chances and a team could go on a run. And my response to that would be this is Alabama and Georgia were one and two the whole damn year. And Correct. I'm not exactly sure that if you put an Oklahoma State in there, if Ole Miss could have made it in, if Ohio State, if Notre Dame, if Baylor, if Utah, if any of these teams that you know people were talking about as teams that would have made it in under a 12-team system, I, you can't convince me that any of those teams would have actually made it to the championship yeah. over Alabama or Georgia. I think that what happens year in and year out, is there is Alabama and then another team from the SEC.
1: Yep.
0: Ohio State, Clemson typically. And then yep. you can sprinkle in a Notre Dame exactly. and Oklahoma. But that's really it. That like, is. That's what it is. And these are the matchups that we're traditionally going to get. Like every year it feels like we get a, a team from the SEC and Clemson or Ohio State. Like who else is really doing it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that I mean, you're exactly right. And and again, a lot of this has to do with a lot of other conferences just not having those power programs. Yeah. Um, and and again, I'll go back to the Pac 12, because that's what we're hoping is going to happen now with Lincoln Riley there. Like you're hoping that USC is going to be brought back up to the level of competitiveness where they can be inserted in this college football playoff and, and mix things up a little bit just to bring some uh, new life to the party. And and I'll say this, it, right now, you, you look at the bowl game um, records and the Pac-12 continues to be awful. They were yeah, oh, 0-5 in bowl games, Joshua. And, and to me, that's unacceptable, Mm -hmm. um the progress at times maybe this season you saw a little bit of progress in certain programs but overall it's the same crap just a different day um but then you look at the the big 10 and and in my opinion had the best record with six and four in bowl games and we don't have one of those teams playing in the college football playoff uh to me that would make it so much more exciting to have like an ohio state in the mix uh the sec five and six in bowl games this year.
0: Right. So let's, let's have this conversation real quick, because I think you're onto something. If you're the pac 12 right now, and you're looking back at your winless bowl season, it's bad. Mm -hmm. What makes it worse is that your, your marquee team, this bowl season was Utah. And they took it right to the wire with Ohio state. We'll get into that game because it was one of the most electric games that I've ever personally witnessed in my life. But Utah ain't supposed to be the class of the conference. Oregon got run out of the damn uh, stadium. Like what's USC doing? What's Stanford doing? (laughs) What's UCLA doing? Like Mm -hmm. where, what are your programs that are like the programs of the seriously, like, And and this is not to disrespect Utah because that program is well run. They develop players. They have a tough edge to them. I like everything they do. They don't talk smack. They just play ball. And I love that. But if you're the Pac-12, you're sitting back and you can't be satisfied. They're not an original
1: Pac-12 TV either. Yes, that Utah is
0: the team right now. You flip it to the Big Ten. And the only criticism you would have is you wish that Iowa would have played against Mm -hmm damn Kentucky. And you wish that Penn state would have put up a better fight against Arkansas, but overall, like this was really good. If you're Ohio state, you produce a really exciting game. If you're Minnesota, you got the thing started off, right? Like Maryland did a really good job, did did
1: a great job dominating,
0: you you know, Rutgers goes out there and they competed as hard as they could. And I was actually really satisfied to see the way that they played. And I think they earned a lot of people's respect nationally. Because yep. there is no chance a five win team versus Wake Forest, who was on a historic uh, run this year, should have been able to compete at all in that game. And they, they kept it really close for a half, which I was satisfied to see. Like, you would want to replicate that on a larger stage with an expanded playoff, which would be a lot of fun. Um, give Michigan State a ton of credit, too, because that was a fun game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, like these are but this is what it is like the SEC. You know, they're they're patting their, themselves on the back right now. You, you got yeah. both teams in, into the, to the national championship. It was a pretty good postseason. If you're the Big Ten, you wish you'd had a team that would have put up a better fight in the playoff. But, I mean, here we are looking at the record. It was pretty good. Produced some good games. Pac-12, yeah. you're sitting there scratching your head looking for answers.
1: I mean, figure it out. I don't know how many times I have said on this podcast over the last two years – the the Pac twelve has major issues. Anytime I can get on the radio, whether it be in Nashville or some some other you know um, radio station that's having me on, that brings up the conversation of of the Pac twelve, I, I try to just give them the most blunt opinion I can give because for some reason people over there are blind to the fact that this conference is in major trouble and continues to kind of ignore it. And again, the higher of Lincoln Riley can hopefully start to turn the page and and you know in some ways but yeah. I mean it's going to take a little more than that it can't just be USC I don't relevant. know about that
0: Kayla I will disagree with you mm-hmm. I think it could just be one program because you think so? Yeah I mean and this is not to to slight some of the other powers in the Big 10 but like it's been Ohio State really that's been carrying you're, the flag you're I, right. I, I saw a uh um a graphic today and I think I got it On my phone here. It's a national championship appearances in the BCS CFP era. So the SEC has 20 and that's spread between (laughs) one, two, three, four, five, six schools. The ACC has eight and that's between Florida state and Clemson. The big 12 has Oklahoma, Texas, and Nebraska for seven of them. For the Big Ten, Ohio State has five national championship appearances in the the BCS CFP era. No other school school. in the Big Ten has an appearance. And so I think you can have the one school, if it's USC, that's going to carry the flag for the conference. That's a great place to start.
1: Look, it is. But Joshua, the the point that that I would like to see the the Pac-12 get back to, again, I I went to a Pac-12 school when the Pac-12 was money. When the Pac 12 yeah. had a lot of badass schools,
0: they had, the quarterbacks.
1: had quarterbacks. When the Pac 12 had big offensive, chunky lines like mm-hmm. at USC, mm-hmm. um, I was there when I can say it was a relevant conference. It was a conference of champions. And that's because programs like Stanford, programs like UCLA, damn, Washington State when I was there was a top three program. Right. Okay. And, and there is no reason that it can't get back to that. But they have to figure shit out.
0: Yeah, they do. And we talk about this all the time. It's two things that get this thing. Well, it, it, I guess it goes, yeah, it's really two things. Is Well, boil it down simply to one thing. <laughs> get the damn TV situated, right? Get your get games in prime time. Get the viewers, get the eyeballs, get the TV contract situated. Because what happens with the TV contract is you produce the money, Yes. And the money gets you better coaches because you can pay them better. And yes. it gets you a bigger recruiting budget so you can go out nationwide and you can get the guys. So you yep. get the TV figured out. And I promise you things will turn around.
1: I agree. I hope the commission has listened to that. I'm
0: telling look, we the the but consulting firm. Hello. I'm telling you, of, of I mean, Anderson and Perry is ready to <laughs> now go. That-
1: that has a ring to it.
0: It really does.
1: That's a real that I, I've never put that together, but that's like a law firm slash, uh, you know, we do it all.
0: Yeah, we do, and, <laughs> and I'm telling you, we can we can help some people.
1: <laughs> we ter- we certainly could. Um, I'm going to shift gears now to a hot debate this past weekend in college football, and um, Kirk Herbstreet, of course, uh, one of the hosts on College Game Day, a guy that you know very well. Um, who has spent a lot of time in Columbus, obviously went to Ohio State. Um, he had mentioned something uh, during college game day, and it was a statement that then very quickly took off on Twitter that a lot of people had opinions on. I'm gonna read it here for people that may have not heard it, and then I want your opinion because you have um, spoke with herb Street since then, and I know there's a lot of differing thoughts on this, but mm-hmm. um he said, Quote, I just don't understand. If you don't make it to a playoff, how is it meaningless to play football and compete? Isn't that what we do as football players? We compete. I don't know if expanding the playoff is going to change anything. I think this era of player just doesn't love football. Okay. Your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a it's a, a hell of a comment. And uh, obviously people ran with that snippet there. Yeah. And I think one of the hard things to as a a TV person and Kayla, you know, this is when you're going through a show, Mm -hmm. you have a finite amount of time to hit a lot of topics. And when you get to some of these topical conversations about, you know, the state of college football, for example, you there is a conversation that could be 50 minutes that you have to fit into an eight minute block. And that block is shared between four voices. And so it's really hard sometimes to convey exactly what you mean the right way. And I think this is a topic that deserves a little bit more time than just the, you know, the allotment that they had on the show. And so I I talked to Kirk Herbstreit about this, um, and and he's been a really good resource to me. He's like the basically the best college football analyst that's ever lived. And you have to give him the respect and the benefit of the doubt of he's not so dumb to believe that no players, you know, love football anymore. And what he was really trying to convey is this thought is that there are so many different things going on with college football right now that the game has become more transactional than it's ever been. And I think that makes a little bit more sense than what he was saying is that players don't love football anymore. There's, there's an absolute love for football, but There's also a lot of things that players are thinking about right now. They're thinking about what they're going to post on social media and they're thinking about some of the other things that are, you know, socially going on in their lives. And they're thinking about NIL deals now. And they're thinking about the NFL. And when you look at when guys like Kirk Herbstreit and uh, Desmond Howard and Pollock played ball, there there were coordinators on national championship contenders that were making the equivalent of $200,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And so those guys were retiring well, but they weren't necessarily getting rich the way that coordinators right now who are making $2 million a year are getting rich and all of their games weren't broadcast on TV. So, you know, it it was a little bit of a a, a different deal there where the big games were on TV. And so it was a bigger deal because of the fact that you were going to be in a national spotlight. Whereas a lot of times people were listening to games on the radio and they were just catching the highlights on the local news broadcasts afterwards. and. The NFL wasn't paying money the way that they're paying right now. And so I think that there is a, a paradigm shift for those guys where I think they realize it. But when you have this conversation, it's a highly emotional topic to talk about being with your team and competing and, and thinking about a Rose Bowl where you would have never, ever in the past said that Ohio State could no. lose to Michigan and not win the Big Ten and still become Rose Bowl champs. That wasn't a thing that happened before. That's what it is now. And so I think what he was really trying to get across was the fact that the game is, it's different now and that there are so many uh, different stimuli for student athletes that they have to spread their emotions, their love and their care and their energy to more things than they did before. And so you get a different breed of player. My pushback to him and my comment back to that is that I think it's the way that he explained it makes a lot of sense, but I would also say that we have to qualify that by saying that the players learned these behaviors from their coaches
1: Yep. because they're...
0: back in the day, coaches weren't leaving a team that was getting ready to compete yep. in a new year's six bowl game because they were getting a pay raise and coordinators weren't making a ton of money. And, you know, just, I- I've heard stories about kids who have had uh, three coordinators in a four year career because their coordinators are all using whatever school Absolutely. they're at as a stepping stone to their career guys were at places for a lot longer because they weren't chasing money. They were coaching for the love of the game, the same way players were playing for the love of the game. And now everybody's different. And and so I think this is just a new paradigm we have to get used to. And if you're an old school football guy, you probably don't love it. And you probably don't, nec- you don't agree with everything the players are doing, but this is just the way that it is now.
1: And you don't have to agree with everything that is happening now, because guess what? Some of us are more old school. Some of us had to go through uh, maybe a little bit of a grind more so than, than other people do now with how things are. This is also a different world in where players are. And I think this is a good thing. Players are able to speak their minds more. They are able to have an opinion more. And that's something I'm sure Herb Streak and, all those other guys wish they probably would have had back in the yes. day. And, and they love the player the empowerment
0: game. too. And, yeah, they do. And that's they do. the thing that people are trying yeah. to, you know, they're acting like these guys can't stand the way that players no. are now. And that's, that's not, not the case, no. but they, they, for, I think it bothers a lot of people that there's a narrative that a Rose bowl doesn't matter anymore. Right. Um, you know, like it, that'd be a really hard pill to swallow for somebody Like Herbstreet or Desmond, who played in the Big Ten and all they ever wanted to do was play in a Rose Bowl.
1: Yeah. I again it's it's I am not mad that necessarily he said something along the lines of it's different. And I I think saying specifically that the players don't care was probably the wrong way to say it. Absolutely was. But I think he knows that. (laughs) And I think Yeah, he acknowledged that to me. Right. If you know Kirk. Herbstreet, you know that he's not that type of guy, right? Like, he played the game. He plays – he stays in contact with guys like you, guys that are very closely connected to college football. Um, I, I mean, you got to just, like, give people a break sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, my God, let people breathe and have an opinion and not attack, attack right away.
0: Yeah. And it's mean, okay. It's, if it's one thing about TV, it's it ain't ever going to be perfect.
1: No, it's not. And, and I don't think it should be. Because that would just not be fun. Um, You know, speaking of that, that whole um, opting out, I know later that night, it kind of ignited Twitter Mm -hmm. even more because old Mrs. quarterback, Matt Corral, uh, decided he did want to play in the bowl game. He came there to help his team be as successful as they could be. And he thought playing in the Sugar Bowl was what, you know, he should have done for his team. And I respect the hell out of that. Mm-hmm. and you know what it's his damn opinion if he wanted to play in that game and guess what he got hurt and that sucks and i i hope he he's better and i hope that his future is bright but don't sit there and attack this guy because he decided to play in the bull game or don't use it the narrative as oh well that's why you don't that's why you opt out shit's gonna happen yep so- okay but let players make their own decisions like we don't need to make a whole narrative out of this
0: yes and so this is another great conversation with uh, uh, a former uh college football player and NFLer that i talked to and he had a, a a great twitter thread about this jake butt who's a central ohio yeah. guy from yep. he played jake. at michigan yep and he played in the bowl game his last game yep and he tore his knee up yep and so he lost money he was like the best tight end in the draft class and yep. you know nobody's drafting a tight end In the first round that just tore their ACL. And the thing that he said is that he had personal reasons why he made that decision to play. Sure. And that's up to him. Sure. And he doesn't want anybody to use him as an example of why players should opt out.
1: And and they shouldn't.
0: Right. And, but he said at the same time, nobody should be attacking any players for opting out either. No. Like he's not the guy that you use to build your narrative. That's but my you also point. don't get to point at other people and say, oh, well, you know, this, that, and third. Like, it right. is it is a very personal decision for guys yes. where they want to play or not. And I think we just got to understand that. Like, guys have different reasons for why they want to go out there.
1: It's not that hard to understand. That's my whole point. You know, whether it be they opt out because that's their opinion and that's what they think is best for them. Or they decide to play because, guess what, Joshua, I'd probably be, money is does not make my world go around. It never has because I haven't had money. but. I would probably be one to play in a bowl game because that's the person I am. That's the things that I believe in. I'm sorry. I'm a scrappy ass woman. Like that's just what I would do. Everyone's different. and you shouldn't have to sit there and have a narrative built around that. And so I'm saying all y'all on Twitter who try to build these narratives, shut up.
0: Yeah, seriously. I mean, Matt Corral, 100% understood what the risks were of playing in that football game. And he weighed that against, uh, you know what, his values were yeah. and what he cared about and yep. decided he wanted to play.
1: Exactly. If you're
0: Chris Olave and you're Garrett Wilson, they did yep. the same thing. And they decided, you know what, I've done enough in my career. I've, yep. I've given enough to my team. And I think they're going to be in good enough hands to go out there and be successful without me. Absolutely. And that was their decision. And yep. I respect either thought Neither. process.
1: I do too. There needs to be more people like us. Okay. Anyway, I say that all the time. So I'm going to get to this final segment that I know that you're excited to talk about because it has to do with your Ohio state Buckeyes. And I would have to say that the Rose bowl against Utah and Ohio state was probably one of the best bowl games that I watched the entire bowl season. And while Ohio state came out with the victory and you got to give them a lot of props, I still am going to give Utah a lot of props for what they did this season, Mm -hmm. man. Talk about a program that has been through some really rough times. I mean, they had a player that was killed after another player was killed the year mm-hmm. before. I mean, this is a team that I have a lot of respect for what Whittingham is doing there and what he's continued to do. Um, but this bowl game was awesome. And I know you just love the Rose bowl in general. I have been to the Rose bowl. It is a magical, magical place. I really think those Buckeye players after winning that realize like, whoa, This was a really cool experience.
0: Yes, and it's interesting in the lead-up because the one thing that Ryan Day kept talking about was how important this game was and how much he was trying to impress upon his team that it was a really important game and that it was a big deal to be out there. They came out super flat, and it was one of those like, man, I don't know if they just mailed it in or whatever the case is, but the way that they continued to fight throughout that game was impressive. And, yeah. and he, Ryan Day said it, and I think this is true. That's a building block type victory to go into the offseason with. And he said that the difference in that game was when they went in at halftime, they made their adjustments and coaches all gave their speeches. And then yeah. a couple of players stood up and they really took control of it. And, yeah. and they determined that they wanted to be victorious in a Rose Bowl. Yeah. And this game had a lot of significance in terms of history because now Ohio State – is the winningest Big Ten program in Rose Bowl history. They have more Rose Bowl victories than any other Big Ten program. And so it's a big deal still to say that because this is, you know, this is where the Big Ten goes to be champions. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but those guys, I mean, they fought their tails off. I thought Utah did a hell of a job. They were aggressive. They were physical, you know, they, they took advantage of special teams plays. They took advantage of defensive stops, but Ohio state said, you know what? We got the firepower. We got the skill and we got the talent and we got the fight in this one as well.
1: Well, interesting, you know, leading up to the Rose bowl, Ryan day was trending on my Twitter almost every other day, Mm -hmm. Uh, no pun intended, but my whole question uh, to you is he got emotional after the game. This, this, this win clearly meant so much to him. Um, because I think he's been put in this position on a national stage of mm-hmm. oh Ryan day just he's not there to to you know get this team to back to the college football players he's not you know this he's gonna move on he's gonna go do this and it's like can we sometimes just let these coaches live in the moment and, and not always tear everyone down and I just feel like there was so much emotion going into this Rose Bowl, like, oh, they don't care that they're in it. You know, this isn't a big deal to them. I mean, what are your thoughts on that narrative?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've I've talked to him about the emotional aspect of it and and you know what it what it feels like to be the head coach at Ohio State. And it was a rough month. Like he, you know, it was a lot of negativity swirling and a lot of conversation about the Michigan game and what they looked like in that one. And yeah, I know it was difficult, not just for him, but for his family as well. Yeah. Um, but I I think that was kind of the release for him was to be able to go out there and win a tough, gritty game where he wanted to see his team be tough. And he wanted to see his team fight, but he also wanted to, um, regain that pride and that passion in the state of Ohio, which a lot of fans were passionate about the way that Ohio state won that football game. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. I think that's what it is for a guy like him. You know, he, uh, He's still a young coach and he's had a lot of successes, but these are moments that guys really hang their hat on it and yeah. that guys really appreciate about their careers.
1: It, these are moments also as a recruit, as a younger kid that you're looking at where you want to go. And you maybe have it, you know, whittled down to a couple schools and Ohio State's maybe in the mix. Like these are games you look at and you see how they come together and you see how they win a game like this um, with really a, a lot of the country watching, at least if you're a college football fan. Like you might say, I'm going to go there. Like I see the the emotional side, that the, the way they came back and fought. And, and you might say, you know what, that that's what's going to make the difference for me.
0: One hundred percent. And uh, they got a couple of commitments. Yeah, actually. So it goes right to that. And I also think that for the players there, because there's this constant re-recruitment process now with the portal. I yeah. think the players understand, too, now this is probably a place that you want to be.
1: Yep. Yep. A hundred percent.
0: Before we get out of here, I want to yeah. talk about this Caleb Williams transfer. Portal yeah, thing.
1: I know. And so sorry, I slipped that, but I think that's good. We just keep it on its own because it's a whole different story.
0: Yeah. Um, so he hopped in the portal Yeah, and his father had made some comments mm-hmm. who, that I thought were really unique.
1: Mm-hmm. And then
0: there's a, another aspect of it that I want to kind of dive into and get your thoughts on. But his dad had talked about the fact that he wants his son to be in the best place yeah. to develop, mm-hmm. to be a professional quarterback He
1: mm-hmm. says
0: you come to college to build skills for your career. And he wants to yeah. make sure that his son's chosen career path will be in the best place possible. Uh, But they haven't closed the door on going back to Oklahoma, which is one of the things that people tend to forget about with this transfer portal is just because a player enters doesn't mean that they cannot say, I'm going to close the door and get back in, right? And so here's one aspect of it that I think is really unique that some people have already brought up. But can players like Caleb Williams leverage the transfer portal to maybe try to get some NIL deals in a place yeah. where they already <laughs> like where they're at, mm-hmm. but they want to make sure that they're getting the most out of it.
1: Yeah. I think that's fair in the, in the day and age we're living in. Um, I think it's interesting. I just saw that, uh, report from Pete Thamel about Carl Williams. I just read that whole thing. Um, I think it's interesting. And I think that, you know, you don't know too how how much parents are getting involved, right? With with everything nowadays too, and just hey, you know, let's let's try to see if we can get a little bit more nil money or try to. It, it's almost becomes like a competitive market, you know, just the way that you're navigating things nowadays because you have that option to go in the transfer portal. But like you said, they're still keeping options open at Oklahoma, and of course, Oklahoma is going to probably try to do what they can to keep him. I mean, look what he did coming in and, and benching Sp- Spencer Rattler and, and starting this guy. Um, I just thought overall, Joshua, it was very interesting to me just because he was able to start this year when it wasn't even in anyone's mind that this was going to happen. And yep. I understand you lose your head coach. I get that, but it's not like his career um, specifically was being affected. I mean, He has been a successful quarterback, and I don't think that that would have just disappeared. Um, You went to a school like Oklahoma that has produced some really good quarterbacks, that's been known for producing really good quarterbacks. So to me, and entering the transfer portal, I just don't think like, I just think it's like everybody wants to do it now. It's like the in thing to do. But like, is this going to continue to be this way?
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're him, though. You have to ask the question, like Lincoln Riley was, you know, the quarterback whisperer. He was the guy. Yeah. And now he's gone. And, you know, Clemson has done a good job in recent years of recruiting and developing quarterbacks, but you know, this ain't Clemson. This is Brett Venables who's a defensive coach and you don't know what his offensive staff is really going to be like. Yeah. Like I get it. And you would think that he could be successful regardless, but you know, if you're, if you're trying to be a first round draft pick, I feel like there are a handful of places that you want to go. You go to Clemson. We talked about those guys that have been there. You go wherever Lincoln Riley is. They've yeah. done a really good job. Now you go to Alabama because the last handful of years, they've produced some really good quarterbacks. Yep. And you go to Ohio State. Yep. And, you know, between there, it's kind of like, all right, you really got to have a good feel and a good comfort level with whoever the coordinator and the quarterback coach is because, you know, some of these guys don't have the same track record as the the four places that I just named.
1: Yeah. Nope. And, and that's the thing. And that's why it's just so weird to me to see this now because it's it started with the transfer portal just being for some of those guys that maybe were backups or something like that. Now it's like starters, like guys that started like this past season
0: Wait that are us. hopping
1: into the transfer portal.
0: Wake Forest's top running back is in the portal right now.
1: I know. I mean, one of the Vols' top running backs is in the po- the the portal. Keaton uh Keaton, is it Keaton Slovis, right? He's in the transfer portal. Yeah. The, you know, Caleb Williams is in the transfer. It's insane. Yeah. Um it I can't even kind of keep up with it because it is literally turned into the wild wild west, but you're right. I mean, that's what it's there for now and I think the most interesting part is going to see where these guys land and then if they're successful at their next spot
0: what it actually looks like when they get to wherever they go
1: yep exactly well hopefully we brought it to you in the first press pass of 2022 i feel like we did I had a lot of, um, as you could probably tell in my voice, aggression to get out and a lot of hot takes, (laughs) hot opinions. Sometimes I hold back in life. But in 2022, I told myself, Kayla, you're going to be 100% you. And you know what? I'm a feisty mother. And so that's going to be my motto in 2022. And I hope you all have your own model that you can follow by. Joshua, I don't know what yours is, but I'm sure... You've got something in the works.
0: I don't know if it's safe for air. So I'll just. Ah!
1: It <laughs> hey, I hope by now the people can figure out that they, if they, if they don't like us, they just don't listen. <laughs> <Yeah. right?
0: laughs> That's pretty much it. Just
1: cut us off. Cut <laughs> us off. Um, hopefully y'all do like us and you can follow us on social media. Joshua, where can they follow you? My friend.
0: Follow me at RIP underscore JEP.
1: You can follow me at Anderson TV on Twitter as and Instagram as well. Of course, follow us on presspass Podcast. Give us a subscribe. Just hit that button if you want to give us any comments, anything feedback-wise. We always appreciate it. Welcome to 2022. We will continue to bring you the best college football information that we can. Uh, you guys enjoy the weekend, and we'll be back for another episode.